If you are enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are published. This episode is another special edition of Java and Journals with Jeremy. In this episode, we are talking with Dr. Jerome DeBose, who is going to discuss transformational innovation. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the program, Jerome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Jeremy. I much appreciate it. Before we begin, I ask ChatGPT to write a rhyming couplet about transformational innovation. And this is what, uh, this is how she responded. Innovation's spark ignites the transformation's flame with fresh ideas and vision will never be the same. (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. Um, And it's also interesting that you gave it a female persona. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in the in the movies, uh, the AI is always a woman. So (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. I understand that. Welcome to the I Am Not a Robot podcast, introducing your host, Dr. Jeremy Ray. In this podcast, we will be exploring the complexities of life with robots and automation. AI has made transformational advancements in recent years and is capable of performing a wide range of tasks that were once exclusive to humans. It is important to recognize that AI and humans possess different strengths and limitations. But what are those strengths and limitations? Please join us as we explore these important questions of our age. So can you please tell me about your uh, background and provide a general overview of how you became interested in the topic of transformational innovation? Absolutely. Um, So again, my name is Jerome DeBose and um, my background is basically, I've been a part of government um, for the past 30 years. and well, actually, it's been a little bit longer than that, to be honest with you. I did 30 years um, in the service, and then afterwards, I've been working in a hybrid function, whereas government slash um, academia, um, I had a little small stint as a contractor as well. Um, so that is pretty much operating in the space of dealing with, as I said, government. Um, how I got interested in um, in this particular area, um, I'll take a I'll take a moment to kind of just go back before I come back top topically. Um, the main way I got involved with this is, as I said, being that I spent so much time in the military. One of the main things that I consistently saw was there were mandates or there were opportunities to innovate, advance to bring about different things um, and to solve problems and challenges. One of the things that I consistently saw is there was a problem with implementing those solutions that they came about uh, and created. So I began to wonder why, you know, um, and I began to just focus on is there is there something wrong with the people who are 
people are, you know, trying to execute this? Is it something wrong with the decision makers, you know, in their um, method on how to go about providing the solutions? I mean, like, what is the crux of this problem? Because I have, you know, I had many, many years, many, many experiences where that innovation just did not go well. No matter how much they got in there and they tried to sell it, no matter how much they kept saying, you know, hey, you got to believe in this. Um, it just this necessarily didn't go well, but here's what always happened. At the end of the day, um, whether that it was a natural conclusion or what, they ended up always had to come about and say, hey, this was either successful, we had to win this, um, win the fight in this kind of way, because you had to validate why you spent those dollars, why you put that energy, time, and effort into that activity. But at the end of the day, for those who were on the inside, they knew, hey, this was a, you know, this just didn't go well. So I, that was one of the reasons why I'm like, okay, well, why is that? So once I um, once I retired from the military, um, I had always had a desire to go back and research that. Um, I was fortunate um, that I came out of the military and I'd already had um, several degrees. And I knew the fact that once I got out, um, that I was going to pursue a doctorate degree um, because I felt like it was always a natural evolution for me because um, I've been going to school and, and um, for quite some time. I, I, I just really believe in investment um, in yourself um, that you can produce and be a better, um, better asset and talent to whatever organization that you're a part of. So I just knew always knew that was going to be the situation for me, at least. Um, so once I did actually get a chance to um, go get into a doctorate program and I got involved with this, um, my first initial thought process to go and tackle this problem was design thinking um, and how that affected the Air Force. Um, well, one of the things, and I really wanted to kind of focus in that in on that area, but one of the things that caused, um, caused me a little bit of problem is I I began to experience problems with getting the data um, and I had to pivot um, probably halfway into my study. And because I had to pivot, then I had to focus on a different area. I really still wanted to stay within the confines and the, that umbrella of innovation and how to implement it and that type of thing. But I really wanted to be able to say, okay, well, I still want to deal with the crux and the root of the problem on why is it that you have issues implementing innovation. Tell me about your uh, your topic and sort of in the um, in the doctoral program they talked to us about having your barbecue pitch. What is your the barbecue barbecue pitch of if you were uh, just had to sort of summarize it in um, easy to digest terms? What is the overall um, what was the uh, the topic and what were you trying to um, research? Okay, then. Um, my research examined basically how innovation strategy, um, I would say organizational culture, um, management involvement, and psychological safety, how it impacts um, transformational innovation and how to implement that. Okay. Um, I wanted to use, instead of just a pure 
quantitative method on doing so. I tried to focus on using a mixed methods uh, and I tried to come from a very human centered approach. Um, and through that human centered approach, I really tried to dive into the psychological safety part of it, um, where, you know, really where people feeling comfortable in their organizations being able to speak up about a topic, kind of like what I was alluding to in the beginning. It's like, why aren't these things working? You know, you, know, you put time, energy and effort in a strategy. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't necessarily bring the outcome that you want, but yet you have to salvage it in some kind of way, but yet is it useful? So I want to be able to say, Hey, you know, um, Will the people feel comfortable enough saying, this just didn't get it? So you talked a little bit about the, the motivation for your study. Um, what was the, the methodology for your research? Well, um, as I stated, I, I used a mixed methods process. My, my goal was um, initially, and remember at the beginning, I said my goal was initially to start off dealing with design thinking. So when I, when I designed my study, I really wanted to focus on doing my interviews first and qualitative um, initially, um, and then I was going to bring in the quantitative and um, then I was going to mix it together and then see what the results you know, and what the story told me, basically. But because I started to have data problems, uh, or data collection problems, rather, I should say, um, I had to pivot. And when I pivoted to this topic, I still focused upon go ahead and get the interviews. I'm going to do those interviews first. And I ended up in a collection of about 50 different interviews. Um, for people in industries, depending upon whether they were healthcare, whether they were the defense industry, whether they were in manufacturing um, or whatnot, there were various different um, different industries and people, executives, um, middle management, and frontline workers of who I who I actually interviewed, and um, it, it brought about some really interesting results uh, from what I saw. Um, I have yet to uh, get a chance to use that data the way I want it to because I ran into, because of, um, as I said, I had to pivot, run into time problem and focus in a different way. Um, but I still was able to manage to get a mixed method study. And so you had 50, um, you interviewed 50 people. That's quite, that's quite a lot. Um, I did. I was just going to say I, I started interviewing um, right around when I had to pivot around September of 2022 and I didn't really get a chance to finish my um, my interviews until around mid-January so I was interviewing a lot and then you took the information from the uh, the interviews and that's what helped you build out your surveys um, yes I, well um, I had developed surveys before the interviews um, because one of the things was I, I, I had to build specifically, I did um, interview surveys as well as I did email anonymous surveys. And they were both had two different um, sessions of questions. Um, so what I did was I utilized the 
interview survey questions and I use that to really focus upon the different industries and, and do that data collection. Um, and then I followed it up with an anonymous survey, email survey into those industries and topics um, that I was able to um, get access to. And so based on the, uh, the interviews and the surveys, um, what, were, what results did you find and was there anything um, interesting about it or that surprised you? Absolutely. Um, there were a couple of things that surprised me. Number one, um, there was a, um, a very harmonious tone that was set through the interviews. Um, and that was, it seemed like no matter what industry I was dealing with, the leaders who were setting the course and the strategy and the direction for whatever organization that they were leading, they had a mindset on this is where we're going. And there was an expectation for the front level, um, frontline staff or front level workers to make sure they execute that, which was obviously a reasonable expect expectation as well as for middle management. But the tone that was set was specifically um, middle management, depending upon their motivations, the, and this is not exact, I want to make sure I state that, um, but the it would happen more often than not that middle management did not know what senior management or the leaders or owners of whatever organization really wanted and how to go about executing that in communication to the frontline workers. Um, so that presented some issues on its own. And two, the fact that when um, I noticed for psychological safety, a lot of times middle management had problems voicing or identifying their concerns because they were, whether they were worried about or, or um, concerned about promotion, whether they were concerned about they needed um, the job for certain various reasons, they just would not express those issues. They just would go along to get along. So those were two things that really surprised me, but that also validated somewhat, um, albeit being um, in a means of what I was referring to when we first started this conversation, I experienced that the entire time while in the military. So it just validated that point. And so um, what role do you think based on this, do you think um, organizational culture uh, plays in fostering a climate of innovation and risk-taking based on um, your findings? Oh, wow. Th thank you. That's a great question. Um, when it comes down to culture, it, it, it really, uh, it's going to obviously depend um, upon whatever organization that you're talking about. And I think the, I think the organizations who produce a great culture and it starts really from what that leader what he or she wants um, out of their organization but then how effective of a communicator are they how receptive to feedback are they when it comes down to are, are the individual workers whether they be in middle management or whether they um, again are frontline workers have they begin given the proper tools are they trained or do they have a do they have they have buy-in to the process um, so it is incredibly 
important that they establish culture. But here's here's one of the things that I'm also finding out, the fact that when those leaders um, are basically trying to lead their organizations, they're so embedded into um, the minutia when it comes down to trying to figure out what exactly do I need to do in order for this organization to move forward and thrive. Um, and their day is completely filled. They're basically, they were saying to me, Jerome, um, I get it, it's super important that I need to focus on culture. It's super important that I need to focus upon giving these tools, training and getting buy-in. But my day is so bogged down with the day-to-day -day grind. How do I have time to be able to produce this environment that you say is so desperately needed? So this was some of the things that was also um, very evident and very surprising for me. So it sounds like what you're what you're saying is you found is that um, you uncovered communication uh, alignment of communication with employees. Um, there was kind of a misalignment with the communication, which was one factor, and then um, you found another factor related to the 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 culture itself uh, factored in to the um, uh, to whether or not um, employees might have felt comfortable um, uh, articulating concerns or ideas that they might have, um, or or um, you know you said uh, go along to get along, so um, you know to to not upset the apple cart, so to speak, uh, they might have. Uh, not brought up ideas um, and then um, and then it sounds like there were some some other factors but what um, oh and then the, 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 the last point you just made it sounded like you were saying that um, it, they didn't really feel like they had time uh, based on they had so many other things going on in their day-to-day -day activities and tasks that they didn't necessarily have time but but if that's the case, what specific strategies do you think leaders can employ uh, to balance the need for innovation and the need for stability and consistency of daily operations, given the fact that everybody still has their their day job uh, and all of their day-to-day -day activities uh, that they need to be concerned with? Well, first of all, let me go back and say this. Um, up, up under no circumstances did, did any of those leaders, whether they be um, um, at the top of the organization or whether they were in, um, in middle management, um, did they disagree the fact that there was absolutely a need for having a strategy, having the right culture, um, having management involvement? They, they all agreed to it. Um, they all agreed that it is, I mean, tremendously necessary in order to have competitive advantage. But the problem is, um, as we all know, and this is a very unscientific statement, of course, but um, we realize the fact that, you know, unless you have some, you know, um, a, a grand amount of individuals who are able to, you know, that you feel that are carrying the water for your organization in a way that you feel is, is proper, high achievers, um, you know, um, phenomenal role management in, for, in regards to, 
um, achieving great results, um, understanding what your strategy is to be able to move out and execute as well as communicate, uh, having that elevator message. All of these things are necessary and all of those things are difficult sometimes to find because, um, you know, everyone doesn't have the same vision. It's not like, you know, we can go out, you know, ideally we would love to, but sometimes that's not always the case. Whereas people have their different motivations. People come to work for different reasons. And I would love to believe that everyone wants to achieve high results always, all the time. But, um, you know, things show me otherwise, especially on the news right now. You see a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations right now are in strike situation. Um, there is discontentment between these organizations. Um, and how do you get them back to the table in order to be able to say, hey, let's get buy-in here. Let's, the organization must move forward. And how do we go about getting you to achieve at a high level, but yet also achieve the things that you feel are important and that's pay um, benefits and things like that. Cause I don't want to leave that out cause that's just as important. And so people come from a mindset, whereas, um, just because you want me to achieve at a high level. And of course, in theory, I should because you hired me and I want to, but I also want something out of, out of the deal too. Right. So there's, um, so you have, uh, multiple, um, you know, interest, um, at play. And, and the question is, how do you sort of align those self-interests so that they're not mutually exclusive? Absolutely. Um, having, having certain things as far as strategies, you know, how, how would I go about doing that? You know, and again, I, I'm gleaning these topics and gleaning these strategies from my research here most recently. And that is, you know, absolutely be a great communicator and whatever that looks like for your organization, whatever, whatever your vision is, whatever your mission is for your organization. All right. You have to be able to communicate that you have to have some passion. You have to let people know the fact that, hey, you know what? Not only does it matter that I want to get the job done, but I do also care about what your interests are as well, because that's just how we are now, you know, in the culture. This is not, you know, back in the um, early days where it's like bottom line is, you know, um, I'm giving you a paycheck. All right. And um, do the job or go home because the dynamics in societies have changed right now. So um, I have to get buy in. Now, I, I get it, the fact that you may still be in a situation whereas you're in charge, but, um, you know, you still have to be able to get these people, you know, to do and, and buy into your organizational vision. Um, so I would also delegate. All right. Find those great people that you can promote and put in these positions, whereas if you don't have those talent and skills, um, how can you get others who can make up for your weaknesses, put them in those positions that they can be able to share your vision and again, promote the order of the company or, or organization, whatever that looks like. So, um, so you're saying uh, delegation is a big factor. Can you sort of recap? Um, so if, if somebody, if you came in and you had your consultant hat on and um and somebody said to you, Dr. DeBose, what methods uh, would, would you recommend that we employ to integrate innovation into an organization's core strategy 
um, rather than treating it as a separate initiative, how, what would you, um, how would you kind of um, approach that? Uh, well, the first thing I would do is, uh, as I walk into that organization, um, say, tell me what your, what your organizational mission and vision is, all right? And I would ask the question is, that is what you believe the mission and the vision is. How well has that been communicated? Because if I walk out of this door um, and I go, to, you know, to next door to your to your other buildings and I touch base with the receptionist or one of the technicians on the floor and I say, you know, I'm not asking that you tell me verbatim what the mission and vision is, but can you give me a ballpark idea of what exactly is the mission and vision of this organization? And if they can't do so, and the main reason is because you put together a two to three page narrative of what that is, um, I consider that failure. Because again, those are the individuals that's gonna be on the front line that's carrying the water, as I call it, or carrying the message of whatever your organization is. And they have to be able to communicate that, all right? Because they're the ones who are gonna get those initial questions. The leadership is going to obviously always have the opportunity to be able to cast a wide net when it comes down to going to speaking engagements and be able to share organizationally those great visions. But those foot soldiers, if you allow me to use that terminology for frontline workers or those who are closest to what the fight is, they're the ones who are gonna be facing those questions. And if they have no idea really of what's going on, you're giving me an idea of what's, you know, what your organization looked like. There has been no sound communication. There's been no real communication of what the vision is. So I would say, give me what your vision is, give me what your mission is, and then also make sure you communicate it with your, with, with your personnel. And also make sure that you have a strategy on what your goals are um, to how to implement and execute those goals. And then do it on a regular basis to be able to figure out, hey, where, where are we missing these things at? Um, how can we go about, you know, creating these things in a way where it would be helpful and increase our productivity? So, um, just yeah, that makes at, sense. At, at, off the side, so. Now you talk you you've talked uh, about um, culture, and I know you also looked at psychological safety. So I was wondering if you could um, define uh, psychological safety, and then. Uh, talk a little bit about how you you've found um, from your research psychological safety impacts the employees' willingness to experiment, share ideas, and take calculated risk in in pursuit of innovation. I first found out about psychological safety a few years ago that they gave it a, gave it a name. I knew. I've always known what psychological safety was, but I didn't know that it was named psychological safety. And basically being able to speak up in an organization and not fear retribution, okay? Um, and I didn't realize the fact that they had given it a name such as like uh, that. But um, again, even from a, from a young man, um, I can go back to when I was 18 years old when I first um, got involved with the military. Um, some people, said certain things and certain people did not. Now, obviously being a part in, in, in most organizations, um, at least, especially back in that time, they're very hierarchical um, in nature. Whereas now we have different organizations. We have flat organizations, matrix organizations, et cetera. Um, a different conversation. But the point is um, 
those hierarchical organizations are groomed in order for them to work you have to be able to um, have order and discipline well because you need that certain things it creates a culture whereas you're not willing to say certain things depending upon the individual's job position or rank uh, in that organization so it began to create that culture of okay i can't say that um you know um to you know the 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 person who is in charge depending upon what level of um of authority that they have and depending upon the power distance um and what i mean by that is the fact that um when i first came into the air force i remember you know here it is i was a brand new person in the military and then if i stepped up against someone who had been into the military already at that time 10 or 15 years you better believe i wasn't going to be saying certain things that were inappropriate you know no matter how much i believed it, at least at that time today's times are completely different i want to make sure that's stated but at that time it was a completely different environment you didn't just speak your mind like that it wasn't accepted it wasn't appropriate so that in itself is a form of, you know, um, at the time, not having that psychological safety net where I feel like I could have said, you know what, I think that we should have every Saturday off, using that as a simple, very simplistic example, um, to be able to say something like that. So, um, so on, uh, related to psychological safety, what, what steps can organizations take, do you think, to measure and assess their current level of psychological safety among their employees? I believe once you have, uh, once you create a culture, whereas people feel like if they have input that um, you don't necessarily have to always agree with it. Cause I want to, uh, again, foot stomp that just because you tell me your opinion, that doesn't mean the fact that I have to, you know, implement your opinion. But what I do want to make sure I do is listen to you, let you know that what your opinion is valued and because it may or may not align with the organizational goals, vision or, you know, direction, it causes me to make certain types of decisions. All right. But that doesn't mean that your opinion is invalid or you're invalid. So if I can let those individuals know, hey, it's what you say is important. Your words are important. Your feedback is important. But I'm not going to always abide by what you say, because obviously I'm privy to certain information that you're not. But I want you to always feel that you can come and talk to me, you know, or talk to whatever said group or activity and provide that feedback. So um, so I would say create a culture that people feel as if the fact that they can provide feedback, both top and bottom um, and and as well as in the middle to be able to provide that and that it will be heard, not always listened to, but it will be heard. And and how do you think that management can effectively communicate um, the importance that um, they're being heard and the importance of of innovation and the role each employee plays in driving it forward what what um, what are the areas where you can see um, or what methodologies do you see as being effective um, communication methodologies for that well, um, that's going to be different for every organization, but what I'll say is I'll just throw the simple things out there, um, and that is show up, okay? Um, the best way um, that I know that you care is um, show up. And on top of that, 
when it comes down to things like effectively communicate, whether that is, you know, if you can't show up in person, show up through, you know, through the media um, um, environments that we have, whether that be through emails, whether that be through um, some variation of your organizational portals, put messages out there. Let, let people know that, hey, I'm accessible. I'm here. Okay. Um, let people be aware of, you know, the fact that, hey, um, the person or the people, whatever the situation looks like, that are in charge, they have a, a, a vast interest in not only the mission, but they also have a vast interest in the people and how we execute the vision. Um, I think that's incredibly important. So um, I will say it in that form. And um, <clears throat> do, you, uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on um, effective methods for capturing and implementing employee-generated uh, ideas for innovation, such as any tools that you might be aware of or um, other methodologies? Uh, th yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can have suggestion programs. You can have you know, um, databases that, you know, that, um, that your organization subscribes to, whereas you can get the most effective ideas. You can have reward programs that, you know, um, if your idea, um, is vetted up to a certain level and we implement it, you know, you can be rewarded in some kind of capacity. Um, you can be able to have things like that, um, you know, solicit for solicit for um, uh, advice in those capacities. How about having, you know, focus groups? You know, um, get that information. Whether internally operate in a collaborative fashion. All right, there's, there's something's called open, uh, not on open innovation. Um, and one of the things I remember um, that was very surprising to me, I remember when Elon Musk talked about the fact that when Tesla came, um, that they were not, you know, all the all the tremendous advantages that they have in creating EVs and things like that, but they weren't going to just make their technology um, so proprietary that others couldn't have access to it. To me, that was that was revolutionary. So you can also be able to provide suggestions on things that you may read, see, watch, listen to, or hear, um, and you may not even be a part of that organization. So how receptive is your organization to getting ideas? You know, create a format for that, you know? So I would say go about in that fashion. So um, talking about those tools and other platforms and methodologies, and, and you mentioned folk focus groups and, and other, um, other methods of uh, quantifying uh, the analytics, how might uh, AI-powered analytics and insights um, reshape the decision-making process uh, for organizations seeking innovation, do you think? Well, I've, that's been something that I've been really kind of um, milling around in my head. Um, and as, as, as even your podcast have stated, AI, is, especially things like chat GPT, it is absolutely going to be a disruptor. Uh, or, and it's already a disruptor in society on, on different things. And I'll leave it to um, people who are more informed in this particular topic than I am to figure out how. But I do know it's going to affect day-to-day -day life um, on how we do things. But one of the things I'd say is this. Um, I think AI is going to be, um, or in my humble opinion, I think AI is a great method to be able to use as a brainstorming tool. 
Okay, because one of the things that I've found in the past, how we used to use this, um, use, you know, ideas or get ideas out there. And I, I, I gave the idea of a focus group where you have to gather individuals based upon whatever their schedule is. Are they the right individuals that you selected? You know, um, are you susceptible to group think when those individuals come together? So what ideas are being generated? All right. And then, you know, be able to put some energy, time and effort behind those ideas well now here's what ai can do you don't have to produce and grab that particular focus group about a particular topic you can throw some um uh, as you said some prompts out there um based on criteria and you can say hey give me some ideas that we need to you know to focus in certain areas um whether it be for our company um, or our organization about certain topics and to be able to put energy, time, and effort toward that. And then it'll also help you figure out, you know, what's the best place to go for information? What's the best place to, you know, um, to be able to dig into certain things. And I, I will say use AI, you know, um, in a method, whereas you can definitely generate ideas and brainstorming. So that will be how I would say um, benefit from it. Thank you to the Air Force Strings and solo violinist, Master Sergeant Mark Dorschef, to Epidemic Sound, and to sound engineer Nathan Ray. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Jeremy Ray.